Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Hey all, Baruch Halevi, be here from Defiant Spirit. Thanks for tuning in. I want to share with you continued conversation on the situation in Israel, but from a spiritual perspective, because today as I'm recording this, and this will also go out today, it is the seventh day after the atrocities uh, perpetuated by the terrorist organization Hamas um, upon civilian Israelis, the likes of which we haven't seen since the Holocaust, and has opened up tremendous wounds, has caused devastating consequences, both for Israelis, for people around the world, for innocent Palestinians caught in harm's way. Um, And this is entirely on the backs of Hamas, who don't care about human life, Jewish human life, clearly, but even the lives of their own citizens. This is not political. This is not, um, you know, national identity. This is not geopolitical. This is about human beings having to have who have experienced evil firsthand, who have known devastating devastation and destruction, um, who are still going through it. The Israeli hostages conceivably if they are still alive and what they're going through and the reports that have come out and continue to come out against those hostages are just horrific and we're only at the beginning now i have seen so many people wander into my office um, here in denver colorado my clients who i counsel coach and also virtually talk with people by phone and Zoom all day, every day. It's, it's what I do. I guide people through life's what I call T's, transitions, test trials, traumas, tragedies. I have been doing this for 25 years as a rabbi, as a logotherapist, as a grief counselor. Um, I have spent my entire life just guiding people through the highs, but mostly the lows of life. And I can honestly tell you, I haven't seen this level of mental, emotional, spiritual devastation, even compared to 9-11. Not to say that they're comparable. There are always different sufferings. But this one certainly opened a wound in people in a direct way, whereas so many of us were indirectly affected by what happened on 9-11. I didn't know anybody who who um, were the towers. I wasn't in New York. I was in LA at the time. Again, doesn't mean that it wasn't as severe. Suffering is suffering. I don't get into the suffering Olympics. But I have talked with so many people directly impacted. I'm Israeli so I, and American. So I, I have connections and, and friends and family and one, two, three degrees of separation in almost everybody I've talked to. Um, and I have many clients who are not Jewish and don't have those direct connections and for even for them it's somehow it's seen seeing the atrocities 
and what took place has just wreaked havoc on the mind, on the emotions, on, on physiologically, um, at a cellular level. And then we could get into all kinds of things like generational trauma for, for Jewish people. It's just endless. My point is, it's been exhausting. It's been devastating. And I've seen a shock. I've talked to some Israelis. They're in shock. It's reminded me so much of going through the grief process, having gone through it myself, but also having, you know, when I was a rabbi, officiated at hundreds and hundreds of funerals and have counseled people, thousands of people through grief. And it has the markings of a traditional or typical loss. What happens in loss over and over again is we are absolutely and positively disoriented. I wrote about it in my book, Spark Seekers, uh, Morning with Meaning, Living with Light, that whenever I've had to break the news to somebody about a death in a, of a loved one, I had to do it personally with my sister, brother, and mother after my father's suicide. Um, I had to do it on multiple occasions for various reasons, a couple times for people who were in the military who lost their lives, and I was asked to be there um, for, to deliver the, the news with um, the military. I've done it in situations that were extenuating circumstances, and here's what I've seen every single time. I don't even hear people talking about this phenomenon. People can't breathe. I heard, I heard it. I'll never forget it. I heard my sister and my brother do this when I had to deliver the news to them that my dad had died. Um, they catch their breath like over the phone, and I saw it in person when I've delivered that news. And so... What that is, is we're, when we're out of body. It's like we're not in our body. And it's like our psyche and our body can't get into sync. And so we're, we're just discombobulated. I don't know, I can't think of a better word. We're disoriented. Up is down and down is up and we don't even know where we are. It's also why we, we go to when somebody dies, I just saw them. But I, I just saw them. How can they be dead? It's an interesting non sequitur response. It has nothing to do with nothing. So what? I mean, that has nothing to do with the reality that we could all be dead. And wherever you were geographically a day ago, a week ago, is irrelevant. What they're trying to do is, I think, they're trying to locate them in place, in time. And we're trying to locate ourselves and where am I and where were they? You've probably had this experience if you've lost... If, uh, if you've lost a loved one, where you wake up in the middle of the night thinking, I need to call my dad. Wait, is my dad dead? My dad is dead. Like Just this disorientation. Um, I've gone to the phone a few times. I don't do it anymore. But certainly in the first few years after he died, I'd go to the phone. Oh, it's Sunday. I had to call. Oh, wait, he's not alive. So my point is, is that this week has been a lot of that. A lot of almost like the walking dead zombies. And for those who... Um, are directly connected to Israel. It's been literally that, trying to figure out, you know, where we are, where they are, where, what's going on. I talked to somebody not Jewish who is disoriented from a human evil perspective of like how. They've seen the sights. You've probably seen the sights of burnt out homes with families huddled together. Like this is 2023. Wait, what? What now? Um, or babies, 40 of them murdered. And I just was talking to um, somebody who 
was so upset because they were talking to a colleague who said, it's actually not true. He said, what do you mean it's not true? He said, they weren't decapitated. That wasn't true. Well, well, I think that one was, or what, what are we talking about? Like, there, there were murdered babies. I, I, splitting hairs here. I don't really think it matters if they were decapitated. We're, we're like in this crazy upside down conversation and reality and we can't process it. It's too much. The human psyche isn't built from this. Imagine, you can't imagine, what they're going through firsthand. The, the accounts, the horrors, you hear about this. My son and I were listening to the news and, you know, we just left Israel a few years ago and he's 12 years old. And so he's got a lot of his psyche bound up in what's going on in Israel. And we were listening to a mother talk about how she was on the phone with her boys. She was divorced. So they were at their father's house and there was uh, Arabic in the background and they were terrified. They were in the bomb shelter and her son was, she was on the phone. I mean, I can't imagine. And he's 12 and his last words were, I'm too young. Don't take me. And that was the last she ever heard of him. And my son's hearing this and he's 12 and I can just see he can't make the connection. It's too much for his little mind and his psyche. It's too much for our older minds and our older psyches. Our, it doesn't matter how old you are. We're not wired for this. And so what happens is this past week has been a zombie-like experience. Some people have gone into retreat. Some people have gone down a dark hole. I have so many friends who are in tears and crying and almost, well, not almost, they are in a depression. By the way, it serves a purpose. Like depression is not a bad thing. Deep rest, depressed, deep rest. We go down, we quiet, we withdraw. That's one way. My way is a different way. I'm you know, in Enneagram 8, the challenger, I take a sword and I start chopping things up and I got to be careful. Like I took it out on a, on a, on a volleyball coach. I'm not proud of, but he wasn't kind to my daughter who was going through, um, a lot of things because also her friends are there and he was, he said some mean things to her. And so I sent him an email and probably, um, didn't need to reference genocide. <laughs> it's not funny, but you know, we all have our reactions and and there's no right or wrong react well there there's a there's no right or wrong feeling what we do with it can become wrong like i shouldn't have fired off an email about genocide to a poor volleyball coach and i apologized but um what you're going through is what you're going through but that's the whole point grief doesn't have rules and doesn't have any it's not rational so this has been one week of we don't know what's going on and it's overwhelming and we're tired and we're angry and we start lashing out or we disappear and we can't get motivated. It's okay. It's okay to have gone through that because you're in what the Jewish tradition would call Shiva. So when somebody dies, according to Jewish law, and although I'm not observant, I'm not an observant Jew, I, I, you know, forge my own path. I'm a spiritual mutt. I draw from best practice wherever it comes from. Um, it's why I'm no longer representative of the Jewish tradition or people. That's why I don't I, you know, lead with the rabbi piece, even though I'm an ordained rabbi. But this is one where I do lean on Jewish tradition. I think they do, we do, um, grief very well. And one of the beautiful things about the Jewish tradition is when somebody dies, we go through the mourning process according to Jewish law. And for the first week, we go, we are in Shiva. So Shiva means seven. So it's seven days after somebody dies, 
we acknowledge that there's no rhyme or reason. There's no rational processing. There's nothing to do other than to just sit for seven days, to collapse for seven days, to, to you know, we don't bother putting on makeup and doing our hair and going out into the world. We just process and just let it be and just sort of find our, get our bearings and get our orientation point because the world's upside down. So technically you haven't been in Shiva this week, but the whole world has been. And certainly if you care about Israel and the Jewish people and decency, just common decency of humanity, you've been in a Shiva period. So as I'm recording this, it's the final day of that. It doesn't mean the feelings end. They don't. It doesn't mean that your grief is over. It's not. But what it does mean is after a seven-day period, we can start to begin to catch our breath. Remember, losing our breath, getting our breath back. Start to get our bearings. Start to settle down. Start to settle in. For those of us who pick up a sword and run out and defend, put the sword down and get clear. For those of us who go into deep rest, to kind of come out of it and go back into the world. For those of us in between, we're all at a place where seven days later, it's time for the next chapter. The next chapter in the Jewish cycle of grief is called Shloshim, so 30 days. And the first 30 days, it's not the intensity of the first seven, but it's also um, not back to the regular grind in the real world. And so we give ourselves a little more slack, cut ourselves a little more slack, give ourselves um, some more permission to just be where we are, but now we have to go back into the world and take care of worldly duties, probably refraining from certain things, but not refraining from everything. And so I use this as a roadmap, as a paradigm in coaching and counseling and helping guide people in my own life and with working with my kids and my friends and my family. We need a roadmap when we are in uncharted territory and all of us are in uncharted territory with every terrorist event. I don't care if it's 9-11 or if it's um, what happened in Israel or all kinds of other events. Each one is its own unique event. There never has been one like it. God willing, there never will be one like it again. And so we need certainty. We need to turn to these roadmaps, these traditions, these practices that have withstood the test of time. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be observant to benefit from these spiritual roadmaps. So whatever you're going through, this roadmap works. It's why it's still here. And certainly if you're going through what I and so many others are going through this past week of the horrors of what Hamas has done, we are at that seven day mark. And just honoring that this past week hasn't made sense, it shouldn't make sense. I've talked to so many people who have said, B, I can't process it. I can't make sense of it. Good. If you could make sense of it, you would understand it. It's, it's irrational. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean we don't need a, you know, to make sense of our lives and to move forward, but you're never going to understand evil. It doesn't mean we shut our eyes to it. It doesn't mean we don't deal with it. I think one of the things we're taking away from last week is when they say they want to murder us, we need to believe them because they mean it. And Hamas has never hid their agenda. It's stated in their, their charter. We'll talk about that another time. This past week, I haven't gotten into politics. I haven't gotten into any of the really of the nuances of what's going on. Just that, you know, and I wrote a blog and I did a little podcast, not a little, long podcast on, on sharing the emotional 
turmoil that I'm going through and the mental anguish and the confusion as so many of you. Now it's time to go out into the world and start to repair the world. Tikkun olam in, in Kabbalah and mystical tradition. We all are here to do tikkun olam, to do our part of repairing the world. But first you gotta go through this seven day period of just chaos, settling into it. And now we start to make sense of things and we start to make sure that this is never again a reality for for Jewish people, for Israelis, for Palestinian children, for anybody, wherever they are. This should never again happen to any human being. We go out into the world and we start to put that together and piece that together. But I just want to give you a frame of reference of where you're at, of where we're at, and where we're going. This past week is behind us. The future is ahead of us. And right here on that sort of demarcation mark of the end of Shiva, and I'll end with this. At the end of the Shiva, the seven-day period, we symbolize our willingness to go back out into the world by leaving our house for the first time since the funeral and walking around the block as a symbolic gesture of our commitment to go back out into life. And we do that with family and friends by our sides. I just see the image of uh, Martin Luther King marching with other people. There's a famous picture of him marching with um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. I don't know why that pops into my head, but going arm in arm out into the world that we're not alone. We're in this together. And so we now symbolize that by going out into the world, marching around the block together, arm in arm, that we're not alone. And good and decent human beings must come together now more than ever before to march arm in arm to figure this thing out. There are no rules to the road. All we have are ancient roadmaps and our uh, human conscious and, and our um, brethren, our brothers and sisters, whoever they are, wherever they are, just asking them to join us, asking them to join you, asking you to join me in this process that we will figure it out together, that we don't have the answers, but we do have clarity of purpose. As my teacher and mentor, Viktor Frankl says, he or she who has a why can endure any how. We will figure out the how. Now it is time to focus on our why, to get back to that, to get clear about what it is. And we'll talk about that hopefully in coming videos. Until then, it's time to take a deep breath collectively and individually. It's time to begin to get our bearings back. It's time to go out into the world, into our lives with open hearts, although that's not easy to do, with open minds, although we're gonna have to fight against that with open spirit to ultimately raise the vibration, to go out into the world and spread love when there is so much hate and to take each other again arm in arm and do this work together. So that's where we're at. I bless you and pray for you and for all of us that we can continue to go back out into the world and love more fully and live more fiercely and defend the innocent and the Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit ever, Podcast. Wherever they are, your host, Dr. Are, Baruch so Levin. If you again, like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. Spirit, to learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit defiantspirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live